What's up, everybody? This is Hobart Owen coming to you with episode three of the Beeswax. I'm sitting here with my main man, Mr. Lesh Brzezinski. What's up, Lesh? What's up, Hobart? And we got <laughs> Jacob Lacali, the man with the dials in his hand. How you doing, Jake? I'm great. I'm over here in the hot, hot New York. Hot summer in the city? It is muggy. Super muggy. We have that perpetual California dream weather. It's like mm. perfect out right now. I miss it. And uh, today we are going to be talking about a very appropriate song for this uh, dream state <laughs> that we've all been living in for the last couple months. Um, I think this this song it definitely puts me in, in that kind of a whimsical, dreamy zone every time I listen to it. And uh, this is a song. What's the name of this song? <laughs> so it's called In My Baby's Arms. <laughs> In My Baby's Arms. I knew it was called. I just wanted to let Lesh say it. Lesh, uh, you want to start us off and kind of tell us about how this song, uh, how you captured this song from the multi-dimensional ether that you uh, that you mine out of? Sure, I can tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, this is one of the many songs that that kind of come to me when I'm when I'm sleeping, so in my dreams, usually kind of like towards the morning. And so this one, it was in my parents' house. It was in Warsaw. And I was and I was in the bed, and uh, I was laying in there with with Amethyst, <laughs> my ex girlfriend, and uh, we were just kind of like tossing around, you know, just kind of morning sleep, you know, getting those last thirty minutes in that you can get in, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I had this crazy dream that like felt like it went on forever, you know. But obviously, it was probably squeezed into like a five minutes, right? And and there was this dr- and, and in the dream, all this weird stuff happening. Like I was in this crazy like water world, and I was diving through these like canyons of water, looking for looking for her. Like she had like run away off into these water canyons, and you know. And then when as I was waking up, this song this this melody was just already there and i kind of immediately was like whoa that's it was such a crazy dream it was one of those dreams that really sticks with you you know had all these weird emotions attached to it and so when i woke up with the melody it like it really struck me and i was like i gotta get up because it was i could tell the melody was weird in terms of the timing you know in terms of the structure of the melody and i knew i wasn't gonna be able to remember it so I just jumped out of bed, went upstairs, and wrote it down. Sorry, no time for pancakes, Mom. i got to write this song that just came into my head. <laughs> Pretty much. I was like, wait, wait, no, stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? Like, has this ever happened to you, and then you've gone back to sleep and lost the song forever? Oh, of course. Every, like, every other day that happens. <laughs> I kind of, kind of, because... If I if I like give in to this thing, I'll never sleep. 
right? I'll like never get a good night's sleep. Mm. So if I'm always in there mining my dreams for songs, it can get become like obsessive, and it's like you're always lucid dreaming and you're never really resting, mm. you know. So so I I have to kind of like leave them alone. Okay. In the dreams, they come and I'll be start thinking like, should I wake up? Should I wake up? <laughs> like, nah, this one's not that good. I'll go back to bed. And I probably lost some real good songs that way. But hey, you know, sleep is important. <laughs> but and you got this one. I got this one. I think this is one of the best dream songs I've gotten. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got the vibe about it. Uh, do, what what was Amethyst's reaction when you rushed out of bed? Do you recall? She she was always like in this like, you know, she was still in the spirit world. <laughs> so so she didn't really care, and I just r- ran upstairs and did it. And I had the melody, and I wrote like maybe the first verse or something like that, mm-hmm. and then I finished it out later. But I kind of retold the story of the dream in the to the melody that that had come to me. The the song didn't have any uh, any words to it in the dream. I don't think. What parts of the song on that fateful Warsaw morning, uh, like what did you, was it just the mel- melody that, that came to you? Or what, what did you start out? Like how did you write this It one? was just that phrase. It was that whole thing. La, 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 la. Did you have a, a guitar with you? Yeah, so that's why I went upstairs because there was a guitar up there. Gotcha. And I just kind of started figuring it out. And it's only two chords. Mm-hmm. It's just a really odd melody, kind of. If you count it, if you count it, it's a little bit weird, I guess. Um, what is that progression that you play? Is like it's just ones and fours. Starts on the four. Four to one. Four to one, really, I guess. And it just kind of alternates in this kind of random way. Kind of maybe akin to like a fiddle tune or something like that. Really has that like back and forth, like left to right vibe. Like makes me think of like for all you uh, Super Mario fans out there, you know, back in the day when I was growing up playing Super Mario, you know, you're going through the land and all the clouds are like smiling and the hills are smiling and kind of like the trees are like (laughs) waving back and forth. (laughs) This is kind of that vibe, you know? Uh, I like it. Yeah. Definitely level one Mario vibe for sure. So when you, when you first like, uh, got the guitar going did you have did you already feel like you wanted it to end up as like ethereal sounding as the final cut or is that something that evolved over time that definitely no I had no idea what it would sound like I just had this melody really I just I just liked the melody I thought it was neat and I didn't think I would ever have made it up in a waking state mm. um, so I was like I gotta hold on to that and then that, I started writing the words and the first the first thing I I wrote was I, I wasn't, I don't think, on a beach in the dream. 
But I knew that the, the dream ended up in the water and stuff like that. And so I that first line I just kind of took from remembering, remembering, I guess, the time that I was, when, when me and Amethyst had gone to Hawaii, we had gone there, and we had just laid down in the sand for a long time, right where the kind of... Where the water know, meets the land. Yeah, right where the kind of like the little <laughs> waves kind of lap over you, you know? Yeah. So we were just kind of doing that. And so that, that song kind of started out based on that little memory that we had together. Nice. Yeah. So it was like a, the synthesis of the the multitude of realities of the subconscious mixed yeah. with the specificity yeah. of a memory. Yeah, exactly. I figured I figured that was okay. And then the rest of it kind of just starts being the, the story of the dream. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, when I heard a voice, no, the second line is what? Uh, oh, the dream I dreamed late in the Um, I was laying in the sand, right? So first it's just a dream, then it's laying in the sand, then I heard a voice call, then um, it, the story progresses very slowly, <laughs> you know, because the words kind of just repeat themselves, right? Yeah. And then so I dove into the tide, and then I'm chasing her, and that's kind of what was in the dream was just me kind of like searching through these canyons of water. Now, um, when you were putting together the like the 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 verses for this, do you go into like into like did you go into this song with like the rhyme structure already like the meter in your head or did you write the first line and then try to match the rest of the song to that rhythm? Yeah, or? I just exactly, yeah. I just did the first one and I was like that kind of works. It's it, the rhyme scheme isn't demanding on the song so it changes from mm-hmm. verse to verse, right? Laying in the sand where the water meets the land, that rhymes, right? But some of the other ones I don't think do. Mm. Uh, like, uh, when I heard a voice calling me, thought I heard a voice, uh, thought I heard a voice calling me from the deep. Right. Something like that. But then you repeat it, so it does kind of have that feeling like but, it's Yeah, rhyme. exactly. It's repeated, so it's not a very demanding uh, melod- uh, rhyme structure on the song. You can kind of say whatever you want. And you repeat the things enough times that it kind of works out any any words you want to put in there, right? Some of them have to rhyme, but depending on how you set it up. But yeah, it's kind of like you can just tell the story with that melody. And there's not really a chorus, is there? It's just kind of like... Nah, no chorus. Verse, 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 verse. It's it's the chorus that, is almost that, that repeat, you know? Like, like the little tag or what, yeah. whatever on the end of each verse. Yeah, exactly. I think that's mm-hmm. that's about right. That's yeah. kind of the bookend for the phrases, or whatever. right? True. So in that way, it's kind of an unusual song too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a story. I mean, it definitely doesn't follow like the kind of regular honey drops or a kind of a tip, more typical rhythm and blues structure that we usually play in. That kind of makes me think of, um, you know, that Marty Robbins album, uh, Gunfighter, Gunfighter mm-hmm. Ballads, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah. I forget what it's called. But like the song Big Iron and some of the songs on that are just like these ballads that just go on go and on. on. Right. There's like seven verses, but there's no real chorus. Chorus, right. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah, that's definitely out of, more out of that like British Isles, Scotch-Irish mountain kind of song yeah. tradition. Those, mm-hmm. you know, those ballads. So in that way, it's totally out of that. It's totally out of that vibe. Yeah. And that's something that I hadn't really written anything like too much of. Maybe... Mm-hmm bedside window or something mm-hmm. like that is the only song, other song that we have that right. kind of would uh right be be kind of out mm-hmm. of that tradition yeah mm-hmm. cool so 
when how long did you have to sit on this one before you brought it into the band you know for for quite a for quite a while i think yeah because it didn't really seem like the type of song that i would play with the band yeah. it didn't really necessarily seem like a honey drop song but you know it seems very personal like this one like you said it's like it's kind of like a window into like you're like a dream you know yeah. what I, mean? I could see this being just just one that you'd want to have buttoned up before you know oh in terms in. of that right in terms of not showing it yeah i mean i knew i knew i believed in this song from the beginning i thought it was like this super cool musically or from a songwriter perspective i i thought that this was like a super cool thing mm-hmm. i really like believed in it so I didn't really care. I knew they weren't going to like it. <laughs> so be totally. Really? Yeah, yeah. I totally knew. Yeah, I knew everybody was going to be like, well, what, what exactly is this? You know? Why? Like, because there's not, like, sections really to, like, gra- grab yeah, onto? Yeah, there's not, and, like, like, it's, you know, I don't think it's, it's a style of music that most of the people in the band are not uh, versed with at all, yeah, too. Right. Right? Like, these kind of ballads. You know, like you said, like it's not really R and B exactly. Even though we kind of end up singing it, I end up singing in this kind of Sam Cooke style, mm-hmm. right? So in that way, it is like very Sam Cooky. But it's the structure wise. I think it was hard for the fellas to wrap their heads around. So I knew it was going to be one of these songs that was I was going to have to like, you know, I was going to have to massage it. I was going to have to feel like and figure out exactly how we want to do it. What does that process yeah. look like of like the massaging? Just figuring out on the for the record is kind of figuring out who's gonna play what. Um, so I kind of I put Bo on the drums, and then That's I got right, yep. and then I got upright bass, and then I had Ben play washboard, and then I put Lolo on a guitar because there wasn't really a need for a, like a keys part really. Is it, uh, did we get Steve on bass? Is that yeah, right? and Am Steve, that? who Steve. played on uh, Just One More. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, so he was on bass. I can't remember. I know we did a lot of demos at your house for this album, but I don't, I don't remember. There if we is did a, a demo. demo for this one. We did do one for the song. Are we rolling? Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, here oh. we go. One, two, three, four. And the main thing with this song, I, like going into the recording process, was like, a getting the band to play it right and kind of getting everybody's mind wrapped around it. The irregularity, of the changes, was really hard for Lorenzo. Mm. Now Steve came into the session and he had written the changes down because they're kind of, if you don't really know the melody of the song, you can't really follow it right. So he had written them down, but Lolo hadn't written them down, so he was hella confused. <laughs> Like the whole time in the studio, I remember that. Um, poor Lolo. Poor, poor Lorenzo. Yeah, he was freaking out. But we ended up. Was he there when you did the cool. demo, though? Yeah, yeah, he was there. Was that like why? Why do a demo? What, what's the thought behind? And just that? to kind of teach everybody the song. <laughs> it's just like a practice recording of the song. Yeah, it's like practice recording, seeing what works, yeah. how we're gonna do it. Yeah, and we were we were uh, unlike the other two songs we've talked about on this podcast. We were actually recording this one in a studio that costs money. So 
I yeah. am sure I'm sure Lesh wanted to kind of iron things out before going into a real studio per se. Totally. Uh, I think we all know. do. It kind of puts us at ease, yeah. so when we go into the studio, we're not like nervous about what we're doing. We're just having fun and playing music. Yeah, something to listen back good. to. We'll yeah, because once you, that, do you do this for every studio, song? Almost. Yeah, I mean, making demos, you got to. Yeah, because otherwise, you can. Well, if you're doing it at home, it doesn't really matter, like you said. But what happens in the studios because you're paying money, and we're not like back in the day. You had a you had like a record label, and you didn't even know what they were taking and what they were giving. So they just stuck you in the studio for like a month at a time and you just did your drugs and you hung out and <laughs> like played around with weird equipment in there and you what came up with crazy sounds, right? <laughs> but that ain't how it is anymore. I mean, unless, and then of course the other studios were like the very, the ones that work like like a factory, like Motown, yeah. or, Motown or something. They didn't, I was, that, what I just said, that was like kind of for like the bands. Right. Bands got to do that with like labels, yeah. but think yeah. something like Motown or probably like Nashville places in Nashville too I'm sure just had they had writers and they had songs and they would had charts and they would show arrangers them, they had yeah. arrangers and so every it was more like a factory and that that they would just they would get the song done really fast with like professional studio musicians who could read and and play down the song really quick and probably rehearse it a few times then bust it out and then bring the singer yeah. in after the singer had rehearsed it a few times themselves mm. yeah yeah but you know anyhow yeah so that's kind of what we kind of split the difference between those two right. you know we kind of get right. it ready so that once we're in the studio we don't have to worry about money and just be creative and we were definitely taking advantage of the gear that you know that the studio had nice console and was this tape, a tiny, tape, tiny tape machines and tape machines. No, this was this in, one was Decibel Decibel Studios and yeah. SF. Okay, but it's a fully like taped out studio. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and we were using you know like a bigger room, trying to get some good room sounds and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. that's that was the point of like getting out of the house and going to a studio is to yeah. You know, Did you those. do this one, Jacob, straight to tape? Mm-hmm. This one was, yeah, straight to tape, and then we would uh, dump the tape into Pro Tools pretty nice. much once we, got, once we got a take that we liked. Or actually, once we got through a reel of tape, you know, maybe we did six takes or something, then we would dump that whole reel and listen back to all the takes, make notes about what sounded good. And then any, like, edits were done in Pro Tools, and mixing was done in Pro Tools. Nice. Yeah. Um. Sweet. So, yeah, there there's no keys on this song at all, huh? No. Which is strange because, like, the, that tremolo guitar almost sounds like a Wurlitzer a little bit. All right, with the tremolo, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the Lolo's playing. Well, plunky plunks, yeah. So that's Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh man, that's such a rich tone. Yeah, what what guitar was he playing? That was my guitar put onto the out of phase. Out uh, of, like your custom guitar? Or your no, old no, no, or my old silver tone, my old I mean. silver tone. Yeah, through the vibro champ. That's such a cool sound. Yeah. Yeah, phasey. Yeah. So warm and like plunky. 
right away yeah. tells you what kind of a dream this is. <laughs> it's a good dream. Yeah, it's all verbed out too. That's a that's a real EMT plate reverb at the studio. Mm. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, nothing and, like the real thing, really. And you have just a little bit of bleed, room bleed on that track? Yep. Yeah, it, it was played live in the room with... Yeah, you can hear the drums bleeding in a little bit. Did he kind of work out all those licks? No, that I was... Mean, I, no, he was, he was winging them. He was. Okay. He was kind of winging them, and that's when we got into, like, confusion because he didn't really <laughs> know the changes. So he started... Oh, okay. So he started, like... And then we kind of had to, I remember, yeah, because he was really, what what separated the takes from each other was really his performance, right? Because we didn't sing, I didn't sing on it. So me and Bo are, and Steve are just playing, chunking through. So mm-hmm. really how we decided which take was the best was based on what Lorenzo was playing. Right. But he was also the least prepared out of all of us. <laughs> so 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 it was like led to this funny situation where you know he got a little bit like oh shit i don't really know this song at all. On. and so we kind of had to stop and kind of had to think about what to play for each little area of the song and then we kind of arranged it and once we kind of codified it a little bit and then we did and then we got a good take i think yeah mm-hmm. i mean he sounds as pro as they come on Sound, that. Sounds yeah. like he knows what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's, sounds like a guy that sh- showed up with the charts to me. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, how, how long did it take you guys to track this? This was a pretty quick one because... Like a day? Oh, this was this session? was like one part of a day. Okay. It looks like we got, we did like nine or ten takes. Yeah, like full full takes, and I think we spliced two of them together oh, to make right? the final take. That's yeah. what it looks like. Just looking at the session, yeah, yeah. You know? I think that was what we did. Like the first four, and then we realized that we didn't know what we were doing, or something like yeah. that. You know, and we were like, yeah. "Oh crap, we have to like figure this out." And then and then we got it pretty quick after that. I mm-hmm. feel like. Yeah, as far as the basic track goes, mm-hmm. was this this is the one where we. We opened up the the tracking room door and put a mic right in the doorway. So we were getting like the hallway reverb sound on the drums. And Mm. on the bass. I feel like a lot of the bass sound is just in that mic. Because the close mic, we close mic'd the bass and it didn't sound good. No, you're right. There, there is no bass. I mean, I think I just have it turned off. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we didn't use a, a close-up bass mic mm. for this. It's so the, all in the. It's drum just mic. a room mic, which is re- which is in the hallway outside of the room that we were playing in. Yeah. The bass cuts yep. through. And so the bass kind of picked up really nice, really far away. Did you have to do much EQing thing. in post to bring that bass out? Not really. I think it was just basic kind of shaping. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, no. Nice. So you did so you you did the rhythm section in this session and then what was the next part of the song that you guys tracked? Then we I think we did the lead vocal or maybe did a scratch vocal or something and put a scratch on it and then we and once we had a scratch vocal put on then we started layering it with the strings. That's right. We did a scratch vocal because I remember the lead vocal was actually the last thing that 
Well, mean? actually, the saw. Maybe the saw was the last thing that made it on. But I remember the lead vocal took a while to get. It took really you were, long. You were kind of stressing about it, actually. Oh, I was totally stressed. I couldn't sing the song. I think <laughs> it was a key too high. Just, and you got, I think you got kind of in your head, because once you got out of it, you sang it just fine, and it sounds great. And you've and I've heard you do it live too, and it sounds yeah. Fine. It's it's still a hard one to sing. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's definitely like one of the more challenging songs. For, for and yeah. so yeah, so I went into the studio and got completely studio wigged out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like couldn't sing, like I couldn't get it for some reason. And I think I'd been having a lot of trouble with my voice that year too, like it had been going in and out on me on tour, and I just I don't think I was like in a, in a great place, but. I remember warming up at home, being like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. <laughs> you know, and then meeting you guys at the studio after I had kind of warmed up. And then showing up and not being able to sing shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounded terrible. Um, but just kind of. But we were, we were at least able to get the scratch track down. And that helped us kind of um, put the strings on. And, the, yeah. and for people and that don't know yeah. what a scratch track is. Can you guys just explain? You just put a vocal down that you're not necessarily going to keep. Okay. Right. But just so you can build the song arrangement around so, it. Yeah. It's good enough, but yeah. it might not be the one that Re- you want. A representation of what the final out. will be. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then we were like strings. I had this kind of whole fantasy about these strings and voices kind of like helping to tell the story of the song around it. Um, so yeah, who arranged the strings? On this? I, I did. I just kind of like sang them little parts. It was kind of total trial and error. We just kind of winged it in the studio. that we're listening to right now. Graham and Anton. Patzner. Graham Patzner. Yeah. Was Danielle yeah. and Rachel on this as well? Or no? It was not Danielle. It was Rachel and... Oh, it was Rachel and Anton and, and Graham. Yeah. Danielle was in Chicago, I think. Yeah. So the Patzner brothers? Yeah, it was the Patzner yeah. brothers. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I remember it just came alive when we put the strings and... and well, the strings and the background vocals. Yeah, I yeah. remember. I that might have been done in the same day. It I'm was. Pretty sure it yeah. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, the track just, yeah, to me, just came alive at that point. And who is this? This amethyst. This amethyst and amethyst. Amethyst and amethyst. Best it's duo. Amethyst, 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 and amethyst. Oh, that's the best quartet in I, the industry <laughs> right now. I think there's four of her. Oh man, I got chills. I got chills when I heard that for the yeah, first time. That is the shit. Yeah, <laughs> snaps. And she did she arrange the backgrounds herself, or did you have a part in that? I can't. I just remember she we, we had she some... came into the studio and was like just super confident and was like, "I got some shit worked out." Basically, we had started working on it a little bit together, I think, but I think those little who. I think those are that's all her for sure yeah wow it's cool how that those 
they really hug the melody that you're singing, Lesh. And like, it's interesting when you hear these like isolated pieces of music and they sound like that all is so beautiful and it could be its own song, but you put it in with this melody that you've written and it like changes both pieces and they like kind of hug each other in this really like, I don't know, it, it's like this uh, synergistic way. Yeah, no, that's, that's, the, that's the stuff right there. I yeah. mean, that was the thing with that song too, because one of the problems with that song to me was that because the melody just kind of repeats itself, you know, it's the same melody over and over again, just different verses, right, as the story progresses. But it was getting boring in this one way. It was like, and yeah. I wanted like these strings and the voices to help tell each part of the story so these these little things come in at different times in the story right you know when different things happen there's kind still of build movement it and progression even yeah even though the song is literally two chords over and over again and the same melody over and over again so you know that's that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. kind of keep it moving and then uh I guess the other main like overdubbed element is the is the saw. Oh yeah. Which is really cool. And yeah, how did you think to how did that come about? I think I I think maybe I had started trying to whistle the song first. Hmm. And I Oh, you you know what it was was that we we had that melody there. That was gonna go. That was gonna mirror what the voice had sung, right? Uh-huh. And then we were gonna answer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was, those are the instrumental section. Uh, this so this is a saw. Yeah. I totally thought this was a whistle. That's crazy. <laughs> Who played the saw? Bonnie Payne from Elephant Revival. perfect yeah how does one uh how does one mic a saw jacob uh, don't that's know. a great question they uh they rec- i don't know who helped her record it or, or I think, what but i think it was dan and and bonnie did it together yeah i don't know what they used but sounds great i don't know if i would probably just put like a ribbon mic i don't know usually a safe bet And did Ben play on this one? He played the washboard. Oh yeah, washboard, which is also picked up in that uh, that main like you know room mic. Here's here's that mic soloed up. Oh yeah. You can hear the washboard. Yeah, so that's just one mic. Yeah, that really, I feel like it keeps the, uh, it keeps that sense of motion throughout the song. Having that, uh, you know, those percussion, ins- you know, triplets, a couple percussion instruments there just kind of galloping through it. When you guys play this one live. When? When we do? Do you play this one? When will we? When will we yeah, play Yeah, when, this one? I guess that it, it really was a question, not a It's kind of happened a couple times. One. When will you guys play this <laughs> one? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen often, but yeah, you can't, we can't, re- 
you know, duplicate all those elements. Totally. We've tried to you come say up with something. You can or can't? No, we can't. You can't. You said you can't. You can't. You, we don't have a saw player. Well, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, Johnny's could... played the flute. I've heard him play the flute live. Yeah, on, yeah. On the song. So we've tried. We've tried to do things, but it hasn't made it deep into our live repertoire. It's like probably the most often requested song that never gets played. Mm. It's a. It's. I don't know. I mean, I'm. I think it's mostly, or maybe halfway, half just the arrangement and the, like the volume of the song, the way it's delivered. But it's a really hard one to get over, a crowd of, screaming people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really tough. I'm always kind of like biting my nails when you guys start playing this one. The few <laughs> times that you have, I'm like, fuck. What uh, am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you just, I think, just, it's I think just we hard gotta, to get. I think yeah. we got to do it earlier in the set or something. Yeah. We have to figure yeah. out a time to do it, you know? Because mm-hmm. if you try to do it later, then it's just, you can't. You can't get it over because everyone's already, we've played Crazy Girls. <laughs> Or something, yeah. and place it down that. on it, and we've done that, <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden you try to bring this one out, and everyone's like, "What? What? Yeah. The, what right. the hell is this? They're too. Right. Dr- they don't understand what's happening. Even <laughs> it w- it would work really well in like uh, some of those intimate rooms that we do. Yeah, um, you know the smaller crowds, the sit down crowds, the ones where people are hanging on every word and totally. hearing every note. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, the sit-down crowds as opposed to the sit-down-on-it crowds. It's yeah. an important <laughs> Big distinction. difference. Yeah, because pretty much you've summed it up right there. I, I mean, I, I feel like this is one you would have to start with the lights still off, you know? Catch everyone by surprise. Come on stage in the dark. Yeah. Get we have a r- routinely... We, we had this idea that we'd start the song with, like, the harmonies. Like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> with this little, like... The voices going, but we never are in tune. We've tried starting it, and we're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. So we've had, we, we're still working on like the perfect live version of this. Maybe we'll figure it out. We have probably another six months before we play another live show. Right. So, yep. Maybe on the live stream, there'll be like a special presentation, and you know. I can come in the back with some colored gels over the lights and try to. Dude, yeah, we need, a, we need a. <laughs> we need a water artist or whatever they call Yeah, oh, put one of those oil filters. Aquatic or, arts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, or just a girl in a mermaid outfit. Just, yeah, maybe you in you a go. mermaid outfit. I could, you know, I got the hair, you know, I could. I could You've got uh, the lack of hair. Put some food coloring. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe on my chest <laughs> for sure. Give me some seashells. Shave my, my middle part. Anyways, um, just going off the rails. Um, but, uh, yeah, we covered all the tracks, right? Except for the lead uh, vocal, I guess. Lead, oh yeah, let's talk about vocal. the lead vocal. That's kind of important. Oh, we, already, we already talked about that though. But let's hear. Let's. Can we solo it? When I heard a voice calling me. When I heard a voice calling me. I thought I heard my baby calling me from the deep, calling me from the deep. So I dove into the tide. You can definitely hear my breathing, which is so I dove into the tide. disturbing. Well, Unsettling. it's like it's you can tell how stressed I am. Uh, You're not really uh, supposed to honestly, hear yourself. Like, I feel like as an engineer who's like here, who's recording it and hearing every take and hearing, you know, just the progression of takes and and the soloed tracks and every little detail. 
I I mean, it sounds natural and it sounds really good when I hear it back. Mm-hmm. It doesn't totally. sound it doesn't sound like a like there was any issue. You know what I mean? No, I know it's kind of weird, which is nice because which, I know uh, there's been a lot of stuff I've recorded and I I know the process that it took, and I can never unhear that process. But <laughs> this, I don't know, it sounds like we we got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know I could, we definitely got it. It was definitely a, it was definitely a harrowing process to me. And now, since then, we've been singing, we've been playing it down a key. Okay. In fact, I, I, you know, was one of my projects for the quarantine. I was I studied this. I studied myself up on my on this song. Oh. On singing this song, and I went and I had a vo- voice teacher like analyze me while I sang the song to him over oh, cool. over the computer. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah, my my teacher John Scott. He kind of like. And I was like, dude, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I sing this damn song? And he helped me quite a bit. So yeah. I'm hoping that I'll be able to pull it out live in the in the future. Nice little nice. tease. Sweet. Well, uh, if that's all the tracks, I guess, you know, just in closing, maybe, you know, um, if you just want to reiterate, like, Lesh, what, uh, like what the song kind of means to you, like the finished product, what it, like when you think about it now. You know, does you know what is the story here? I mean, the story to me is of a kind of one of the things I love about this song is that it's not it's not any genre. It's really its own thing, and that's kind of what I think is really cool mm-hmm. in terms of music in general. Like, I'm actually a very traditional. I'm a kind of a traditionalist in the sense that I love traditional music from around the world, and that's kind of like. Most of what I listen to is pretty, like, you know, kind of from one very particular tradition. Like, I love second line music, or I like old time music, or I like Delta blues, or I like, you know, I like these pretty, like, localized traditions of music, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, in a lot of ways. And, but when it comes to making my own music, I like to have it kind of have a little bit of a lot of different things going on. And um, that's kind of what I like about this song, is that it's it's really a fusion of different elements. And we pulled it off. It, like, it works. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the big question. Like when we started doing it, um, and when we started recording it, was everybody was like, how are we going to make this work? This seems kind of weird. And like you were saying, like it didn't kind of come together with for you until we had like the vo- backgrounds and the uh, and the strings and the saw. And, um, you know, so this, in a way, this was probably one of the biggest challenges we ever did as a band of making a song and kind of creating something that takes from a lot of different elements and was hard to make it work, but it did work in the end. So in that sense, I think it's one of the cooler, to me, artistically, that's kind of like an accomplishment. That's something I can be like, okay, I I made something, I made something kind of pulling from these old things mm-hmm. pulling from like a little bit of 50s gospel with the sam cook you know and the kind of the basic rhythm of it but then also pulling kind of from the strings and cinematic arrangements of that era and like you know kind of like jazz and pop ballads had these like lush string arrangements in those days yeah. there's a lot of that sam cook stuff that has mm-hmm. has all that going on too totally and nat king cole yeah and and then and then also you know the little tremolo guitar and the the 
you know, other elements and, and us playing it in these days. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's got all these different and the, the kind of br- like English ballad kind of structure of it all and melody right. and structure. Got some selkie, Celtic selkie vibe yeah, to Celtic it. Celtic selkie mm-hmm. vibes, yeah. <laughs> Celtic selkie, there's a band name. How do you, uh, when you learn like a, a style of music, you learn, like you, you play it authentically. But like, how, how do you, uh, when you want to like kind of blend things and kind of put your own spin on things, what's the approach to keeping it authentic and not being like a pastiche or whatever? Oh, like just like a reproduction, right? Yeah, or, yeah, or that. I, like, I try, what I think what we try to do is we try to blend a few things that don't go together. Okay. You know, like. So the less obvious. Yeah, kind of maybe a little less obvious fusions. And that way you can kind of play each part sort of the way it's supposed to be. But you're mixing things and you just got to figure out how to finesse that mix. You know, that that you got to figure out how to keep it sort of true to its roots. Mm-hmm. Keep two things, two disparate things kind of true to their roots, but find the place where they coincide and they they can coexist. I think that's kind of the... You know, in terms of the creative process, too, I think that's where it's really at with the creative process is that, you know, like the analytical process, you break things down, right? And you're breaking them down into their different elements. And you're like, well, this is from here and that's from here. And they're not the same because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> reductionist philosophy. Yeah, it's kind of like the reductionist idea. And I think the creative process is really the total opposite of that you start seeing where things are like have in common and a lot of like my favorite honey drop stuff the stuff that we've made that i'm most proud of is kind of that it's like where is the where is actually the the common ground between these things without kind of watering them down too much gotcha and just because i feel like these days a lot of what you hear is people take a little bit from different styles of music but they just sound like rock mm yeah they kind of hint they kind of take like maybe one uh surface level uh quality of like right. a type of music but yeah. they don't really dig deep into like what makes it really cool yeah sometimes not right learn the tradition not, behind it yeah 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 i guess so not to not to be a shit talking that's podcast, interesting you were talking hella shit jacob oh, i fuck. like it let it let, <laughs> hot takes hot let, takes coming in <laughs> let it out the bag but jacob you know. just Destroys the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob LaCubby. That's part of his new YouTube series, Jacob Destroys. Yeah. No, but it's interesting what you said about the, the uh, that philosophy with the rock. Because I do feel like like rock became this like like the pop industry kind of assimilated rock. Not rock and roll, but just rock into its like core. And now like the way that they're like mixing these songs and the vibe that's coming through it, no matter it's aggro. Yeah, it's up to eleven. Everything is up to eleven and there's not always room for like a quiet song or a you know, everything's gotta be like set for the Super Bowl halftime show. You know? <laughs> right. If, if you can't fly jets over it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well this is definitely not a rock song (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i mean it is in the sense like you know one of the images that comes to mind when i hear this song is like the cover of 
Led Zeppelin Houses of the Holy, like all those like kind of ethereal oh. field with the stones and the, the mermaid type girls. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, there's it's some, rock, of, yeah, there's some of that Dude. like light, like Zeppelin-y rock vibe here. <laughs> this is sure. my first rock song. Yeah, wow. you finally you know, wrote a rock like, song. I've been trying to write a rock song for so long. <laughs> I mean, you know, bull, you're talking about bringing in those kind of Celtic. Oh, yeah. You know, English elements to it. And those are definitely deep in that tradition as well. So, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe you had to backtrack through the the common pool of tradition that that The Rock draws from. But. I'm just waiting on your uh, Lord of the Rings reference. We're talking about Led Zeppelin. Yeah, for sure. Come well, on, man. Bust it out. Bust yeah. It out. Well, the song's definitely like very Lothlorian vibe for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking like when they uh, when they leave Lothlorien and they're... Well, actually, my, let me take that back. They're coming down the Dimril Stair. The Dimril Stair. No, I, I'm thinking that it's more actually... This is when they're sailing out from the Grey Havens at the end mm. to the to the Undying Lands. Mm, right. And Bilbo and Gandalf and Frodo are waving goodbye to their hobbit companions. The war has been won. The king is alive. And now they're going with the elves to the final resting place of the Undying Lands. That's what this vibe is for sure. Sleep. Here they rock me to sleep. 